independent media is more important than ever. We don't have a corporate network behind us, and we also don't have big green foundation grants. So we really do need you, and we are actively calling in your direct support so that we can continue exploring many of these topics and perspectives, often sidelined by mainstream media. If you're enjoying our show, please make sure you're subscribed and join us on Patreon today, starting at a tip of just $3 at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Every little bit helps and really adds up. And that is the power in community. So thank you so much for however you're able to support our work. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons. To support the show starting at $2 per month, you can head to greendreamer.com support to learn more. This episode is also supported by our sponsor, Osea Malibu, the original plant-based, results-driven skincare line. I was really excited to share this with you because I've actually been using Osea's skincare myself for the past few years, and I love it. The Hyaluronic C Serum specifically has been helping to keep my skin hydrated in this dry climate in California. To get $10 off your first purchase of $50 or more, you can head to oseamalibu.com slash greendreamer, and the discount will automatically be applied when you check out. Again, that's oseamalibu.com slash green dreamer. If you preach to the choir, it's hard to get many converts. And Grove is really about our, our first company value is that we're all about our people and everyone is our people. That was Stuart Landisberg, the co-founder and CEO of Grove Collaborative, which is the leading e-commerce platform for natural home and personal care products. Stay tuned as we're about to explore how he's been able to get so many people who've never tried eco-friendly products before to try out Grove Collaborative for the first time. The importance of making this movement non-exclusionary but inclusive, united by our common goals, and more. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. For me, like for so many people, I learned about the environment from my parents as I grew up, I think, and I have two young children now, and I often think about as my daughter, who's two and a half, comes to understand the world. You know, it's really this amazing privilege for a parent to be able to shape the worldview around, do we care for the environment or do we exploit it? Do we think about our, the impacts of our actions on others, or do we only think about the benefits for ourselves? And I am fortunate to have two parents who I think were a bit ahead of their time in terms of being conscientious about the products that they surrounded us with in our home. I remember vividly as an eight-year-old that I thought seventh generation, which is one of the pioneers in the natural product space. I thought Seventh Generation was the largest company in the world because we had one skew from Coca-Cola in the refrigerator and like a hundred products from Seventh Generation all over <laughs> the place. And I think 
that kind of assumption, you know, I grew up with the assumption that everybody put environmental stewardship at the top of the list of sort of life priorities and was surprised and disappointed when I learned that that actually isn't the way the market shapes out when you look at a lot of categories. Mm. And that was a lot of the inspiration behind how I've chosen to spend time as a professional as well. Mm. But yeah, I really do think it, it starts sort of one by one with what we teach our children. And that's, that's how it started for me. Early on in your career, you were first working in the field of finance for a little bit. What was it that led you to pivot or finally decide to change your trajectory to fully supporting sustainability through your career? I've always been passionate about sustainability, but just because one is passionate about it doesn't mean that you immediately know how to act on that passion or put 100% of your time behind it. So started my career in finance and had the privilege while there to cover a number of interesting industries, including both the grocery space and the sort of earlier days of the internet. And the thing that drew me to start a sort of conscientious business, a mission-driven business, was I saw this opportunity in looking at both of those. In the grocery category, I noticed people were not shopping their values, not necessarily because folks don't have good values, just because what's on shelf doesn't necessarily represent the best of what's available. And I also saw this sort of amazing ability of the direct consumer business model to make it really easy for consumers to find products that align with the best of ourselves. And so that insight, which came from my time in finance, led me to believe that in the, in the space in which Grove operates, there was a really unique and awesome opportunity to build a business that could be both really large, but that had a really positive impact on the world as well. Mm. Other than how this has inspired you to start Grove Collaborative, what was the most profound learning lesson you gained from the finance world that you used to support your work today? The biggest lesson from my time in finance was the importance of intellectual honesty. The seat that I was in had me face-to-face -face with a lot of really amazing business leaders from really big and impressive organizations. And the trait that resonated the most was how plain-spoken all of these excellent leaders were about positive and negative things going on in their business, going on in the world. And it's something that I think is like, I'm a, I'm a positive person by nature. And I, I love that about myself, but I also really value the importance of an open dialogue around things that are both going well and not going well. And I think that's a good lesson that's applicable, not just in business, but across life, mm -hmm. that the vulnerability to be able to speak to challenges as well as strengths is is really empowering over the long term. Mm. So for our listener who may be hearing about Grove Collaborative for the first time, what is it that you do and offer? How does it work? And what gap are you trying to fill? Sure. So Grove's mission is to help every family create a home that reflects the best of themselves. The way we do that is we make it really easy to find home and personal care products that are healthy for families and sustainable for the environment. We offer a curated selection of the best natural home and personal care brands like Seventh Generation, Bird's Bees, Method, folks like that. And then we have about 50% of our sales are products and brands that we've developed in-house. And we go to market exclusively through our website, www.grove.co. 
and you know, folks can sign up there. And it's really having a lot of features in place to make it really easy to not just try natural products, but to maintain really healthy habits in all of the products that we bring into our homes and use around our families. In an interview with TechCrunch January of 2018, you said that more than half of your customers had never really bought eco-friendly products before trying out Grove Collaborative. I think this is really profound because the challenge seems to always be how can we engage new audiences and expand our collective awareness and ability to participate in activism through what we buy. Is this still the case for you today where most of your customers are new to shopping eco-minded products? And if so, why and how have you been able to attract people beyond those who already consider themselves as eco-conscious? It's an amazing question. Thank you for pulling that out. It's one of my favorite things about Grove. If you preach to the choir, it's hard to get many converts. And Grove is really about our, our first company value is that we're all about our people and everyone is our people. We try to be quite inclusive and that that really does encompass folks who aren't yet all the way up the curve in terms of buying the most natural and sustainable product. And so it's always been really important to us that we're welcoming for folks who are newer to the category and destigmatizing, demystifying, not overpriced, and you know really remove all of the barriers to switching to a healthier lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so you know we, we've always gone to market mostly through trusted referral, which is to say you know either someone telling her friends or hearing about us through a blogger or an Instagram post that someone put up of their shipment when it arrived. That's really the way that most people find out about Grove. And I think it's, I am a a real optimist in terms of the fact that folks, that people really do want to be good. And so I think that we are at the early stages as a society of a groundswell of conscientious consumerism. And I think that, that really does help nudge folks who maybe hadn't previously thought about buying more conscientious products for their home thinking, okay, well, I didn't think it was for me or I didn't think it was easy, but my friend recommended Grove. And so I'll give it a shot. Mm. I think we see a lot of that and it's really a privilege to participate in some small way in what I see as a, a really positive macro trend towards more conscientious consumerism in general. Oftentimes, I feel like this sustainability space in the United States can seem to draw in, in particular, audiences from big cities and on the coasts. But Grove actually is doing better in the middle of the country, including Texas, Kansas, and Utah, compared to the coast. Based on your experience, what do you think the environmental movement can learn and do better to be able to unite people who may have uh, certain differences in ideologies, backgrounds, or values, but who do share this common desire to live healthier lives and to ensure that our environments are healthy and safe as well? I think this is one of the most important questions of our generation. How do we reach across political, socioeconomic, regional whatever differences we may have to address some of the true crises of our time in, I mean, we will, the environmental crisis that we are all going to face in our lifetime. And I think the way that we have approached it is extremely simple, but has been extremely, I think, effective, 
which is is twofold. You know, the first is not politicizing it. I mean, Grove is not a political organization in any way. You know, we are focused on minimizing pollution and getting amazing products to consumers that are positive for human health and ideally positive for environmental health. And across what every background, people want to do well for their family and they want to make sure that their future generations are able to enjoy the same wonderful planet as we enjoy today. And so I've found that those, those really simple themes of creating a home that's healthy for our loved ones and being thoughtful about how we consume our shared resources on this planet are ones that are that actually are quite uniting. And I, I believe that it is a, a common misperception that any one part of the country or one demographic or psychographic owns the passion for doing well. I really, I believe that it, it does come from everywhere. And I think we, I'm constantly inspired by the amazing choices that, and the passion that we find for more sustainable solutions from folks in all walks of life, in all geographies. Grove was started in 2012, but particularly had a massive growth in the past two years, growing 10 times more quickly and raising over $100 million in funding, quietly becoming the largest independent natural home care brand in the United States. What led you to decide to raise capital and how do you address the concerns people may have that mission-driven companies taking on stockholders may dilute the strength of its mission and fall into the same trap of decisions being made first and foremost around what will bring back the most return on investment for the stockholders? Yeah, thank you for asking this question. So I think that in order to have real impact, scale is necessary, right? I, I just think, you know, if we if you think of the prior example if we're only selling a few rolls of toilet paper, it, the impact is small. I think we'll probably sell, I don't know, five or 10 million rolls of toilet paper in 2019. It's a much bigger impact because the company is bigger. And so we brought on investors because they believed that this could be a company that grew to be large and successful, you know, not just from an impact perspective, but also financially. And the fact that we are able to align business success with mission success is, I think, core to, certainly core to what we do every day. Uh, and I think is core to business being a positive force for change in general. You know, it's, it's really hard to get governments to act. It's really hard to get nonprofits to scale. But business, businesses are built and in the capitalist economy that we have today, which you know, we can argue whether that's the best system or not for driving progressive goals, but in the capitalist system that we have today, businesses can be an amazing vehicle for change. And I think we would be overlooking a, an incredible asset in the mission to protect the environment and bring healthier products and sort of drive societal change if we didn't use business as a core pillar in that. Mm. And I think it's up to the leaders of those businesses to bring in third-party stakeholders who understand that the company or the organization that they are backing is one where values come first. And 
you know, we are fortunate to have wonderful investors from the earliest who are, some of them are super mission driven individuals and all of them understand that the mission is core to the success that we have as a company. And I, and I will say, you know, working here, right? Like the people who work at Grove are amazing. Like the team here is amazing and they care so passionately about the environment, about providing healthy products for families all across America. I mean, the team just is so high integrity and so bought in that it forces us as a company to be better than we even could otherwise hope to be, mm-hmm. right? Team gets more fired up when we announce a major sustainability win than you know just about anything else. And that culture is amazing and powerful. And I am I really am grateful to our investors for believing in a company that had uh, where social mission and economic success are so intertwined and, and where the company is built in a way that they will forever be intertwined. I also should, I should have probably said this first, Grove is a certified B Corp and has been for years now, which means that we explicitly prioritize social, environmental, and community stakeholders, not just profit. And all of our investors invested knowing that that was, that is how the company operates. And I, for one, believe that a focus on all stakeholder groups versus a short-term focus on profit leads to the best outcome over a really long-term horizon. Hmm. It sounds like you definitely have a leg up in terms of having your employees feel so deeply aligned with your mission that they're going to work extra hard because they actually believe in that as opposed to conventional corporations where they do have some of the smartest people in the country, but perhaps they don't personally feel that deeply connected. I think the smartest people in the country now, like the best people, all want to work at mission-driven businesses. If you're an incredibly talented individual, why would you choose to work at a business that doesn't have a mission? Mm. I can't imagine why anyone would choose to work anywhere but a place that has a really fulfilling and deep mission orientation. And so I think that's part of why we've been able to build such an incredible group of individuals at Grove. And I think it's a strategic advantage for every mission-driven business across the world. You know, maybe it's true today that the larger corporations can still offer more attractive cash compensation, but I think that cash compensation matters less than overall fulfillment. And I think overall, the number of fulfilling roles at mission-driven businesses will only increase as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And I think the big businesses will be forced to start considering mission more. Because the competition from folks like us and from the amazing mission-driven businesses that are being started everywhere will be will will push them to understand that to survive for the next hundred years, we all have to consider the environment and the effects of our business on all stakeholders. Well, in light of all of this, you have a big vision to challenge the big guys out there that are currently dominating various consumer packaged product categories like Unilever and PNG. Can you talk about how you think these corporations that have only been serving their bottom line came to establish their power and what allowed them to dominate the market for so long, in spite of 70% of consumers wanting to shop conscientiously? It's a great question. So if you think about the way the consumer products business got built over the last 150 years. It used to be that there was sort of one convenience store in the center of town and 
one or two brands maybe of laundry soap on the shelf. And that evolved over time into regional grocers and into big chains. And as that happened, a few winners shook out in each of the sort of core consumer products areas. And you can see that if you walk into, you know, pick your grocery store or Target today, there's somewhere between half a dozen and a dozen brands represented. And most of them are from the biggest companies in the world. And hundreds of millions of dollars flow back and forth between the biggest retailers and the biggest conventional consumer brands to ensure that whatever that market leading orange bottle of laundry detergent still has the best shelf space in every grocery chain around the country. And 95% of this category is still being purchased offline, right? It's still being purchased in those shopping centers and malls and big box stores. And so I think the thing that's happening now, which is so magical, is consumers can choose for themselves, right? It used to be the case that if you wanted to buy it to have a natural laundry detergent, you sort of had to make it at home, right? Because all you could get was whatever was it, the stores in driving distance. Now, because companies like Grove can go directly to the consumer, anybody can have access to more natural products. And so we've we've skipped this choke point where the big consumer brands own access to the consumer. And anyone you know with a smartphone can easily get access to products that are better for their health and better for the environment. And so I think we're seeing the adoption of natural products in my space, but really across the board, the adoption of conscientious products is more rapid than it's ever been because there isn't this sort of gatekeeper of, you know, Walmart or whoever who decides which products are available in a 30 minute drive. Mm. And I think it's, it's in a really beautiful way, handed the power back. Well, it's not all the way, but handing the power back to the consumer in terms of what products we buy and, it's no longer any more challenging to buy amazing products than it is to buy the conventional ones. Mm. So do you feel like perhaps in actuality, consumers have been wanting to buy better for much longer than we may realize, but right now it's the rise of e-commerce, social media, and et cetera, that is leveling out the playing field so that brands doing better can actually go directly to these consumers looking to do better rather than being blocked by, again, these monopolies in the way. I think that's exactly it. I know that you're also trying to fundamentally get consumers to change how they do things. An example that you've brought up is cleaning products. Can you talk more about why there's a need to challenge how we've been doing things and give us some examples of what you're innovating to change consumer behaviors and habits for the better? Sure. I think that we are creatures of habit and there are only so many, so many moments of the day to consider every action in our lives. It's incredibly hard to move through today's world without in some way participating in our high waste, high consumption economy. It's incredible. But there are real ways where small changes can have a big impact. The laundry category, as an example, in the U.S. this year, will put consumers will put almost a billion plastic laundry detergent bottles in oceans and landfills, a billion just this year in the U.S. Our solution for that is Grove offers a reusable glass vessel 
instead of a laundry jug. And so you can use it your whole life. And we sell a super concentrated laundry detergent where you can get as many loads out of 24 ounces as you, you used to need 100 ounces for. And we ship it in a super efficient pouch rather than one of those bulky bottles. And so we end up reducing plastic waste by somewhere between 70 and 95%. And for the consumer, it's no more expensive. It's a better experience because you have a beautiful glass bottle in your laundry room and nothing heavy or bulky. And it is a real win across the board. Similarly, in the glass cleaner category, you know, the market leading product there is probably 95% water. We ship uh, one ounce concentrate and people can add their water at home. Mm-hmm. It uses 95% less plastic. And instead of having a ugly single-use bottle, we have a reusable glass spray bottle that you can use for 20, 30 years. Pass it on to your children. And so I think there's real opportunity to innovate in ways that are better for the consumer, lower cost, and lighter environmental footprint. And that's that's what makes me so excited about the category that we're in. And so that there are a number of examples like that, but even if you just think about taking the water out of a product like glass cleaner and how much less plastic you need, how you don't have to save the emissions from shipping that water all around the country, it's crazy. And that's just one industry of hundreds that I think there's opportunity to redefine. And this is a bigger picture question that I've been thinking about. And maybe there's no there's no answer just yet. But I feel like part of the issue that we face today is that by having these multinational corporations that have scaled their productions in an attempt to sell the same products to a national and global audience, that's led to an over-reliance on a few specific products and ingredients used within those products. So beyond making organic and non-toxic products more accessible to everyone, how do you think a business trying to support a more biodiverse and sustainable future can help us get there as it scales? without putting too much demand on any singular ingredient, which can still exert too much pressure on those ingredients with the same things sold to a, a large, a huge audience? This is, this is a challenging question for which I don't think there is any simple answer, but it is the goal, I mean, the responsibility of all business leaders to think about, I mean, really of all people to think about how we balance consumption in a way that protects the wonderful biodiversity of the world. And I think the way that we will get there over time is through innovation. And I think it, it really, we're making good progress. I don't know if it's fast enough, but we are making good progress. You know, I think of the plant-based formulations instead of the synthetics and petroleum-based ones in my industry. I look at the plant protein industry, which is quickly replacing a lot of, well, hope I can't quickly enough, hopefully lower meat consumption in the U.S., which obviously would have a, a material environmental impact. I think there's real opportunity across a ton of different industries to think about how we source either recycled components or raw materials and feedstocks that, are, that support sort of the direction we want the world to move in overall. But it's a hard thing, and I think it it requires a combination of innovation and some really strong stewardship from organizing bodies and nonprofits that can, like B-Labs and like the folks who do organic certifications, 
to make sure that consumers have a way of understanding when a company is thinking about you know what's really good for them in the long term versus making decisions that are strictly economically motivated. So what is your vision of a world where eco-conscious and healthy living is truly accessible to everyone? And how do you, what do you think we need most in order to get there? The company's vision is, Grove's vision is that consumer products will be a positive force for human and environmental health. And I bring that up in answering the question because I think that we can create business models and systems that are not just like zero waste, but actually put back into the communities, economies, and environments that we've pulled out of for a long time, right? Just like seedling, not only not cutting down trees, but also planting trees. I think the way that we get there over time is, and this is a little bit out there, but I do think there's an opportunity to go back to a more communal system, right? We don't need all of the single use things that surround us. I think there's a a wonderful nostalgia for when we owned fewer, higher quality things. And I think the adoption of more conscientious business models will make it, make consumers more open to business models and sort of a way of living that embraces shared resources in a more fulsome way than we do today. And so you know, the question to me isn't just sort of how do you make it accessible to everybody, but also how do you make it the impact deep enough so it's not just that great when you buy toilet paper, instead of cutting down trees, it plants trees. But, you know, when you fire up your laptop in the morning or charge your phone, you're not creating emissions from whatever sort of unsustainable energy source powers most of the grid and most of the world. But I think the only way massive change has happened in the past is through a combination of people-led movements that eventually impacted organizations and governments to have to follow. And so I am hopeful that one of the, the byproducts of buying you know, a, a better-for-you soap is that pe- more people are more likely to think about the environment across everything that they do. And it helps us get even a little bit closer to a future where you know, there really are, is sort of the clamor in the streets for the kind of sea change that's necessary to protect the environment over time. Mm. And to help us expand this people-led movement, because you've proved yourself at being so effective in engaging new audiences and inviting those who may not have been able to, had access to, or had an interest in uh, shopping ecologically and socially-minded products, for the closing question, I'd love for you to share your thoughts on how we as individuals who are really passionate about this subject can collectively bring more people into this space rather than having it feel exclusionary. I think you had the nail on the head. The biggest risk to this space is that it feels exclusionary. It feel, it could start to feel us versus them in some way and people feel left out from the movement. I think in my experience, the best way to convince someone of anything is, is personal, right? It's always, at least for me, been about, hey, here's what works in my life and the stuff that's been rewarding to me. And it started for me with plastic water bottles and nagging all my friends until 
none of them were ever willing to show their face with a single-use product around me. And then, of course, I started this company and you know, now get to share a positive message about natural and sustainable products for a living. So I think as individuals, it's about telling the story that resonates with you to the people around you in a way that allows allows a new person to connect to it. And I really do think the way change happens is one person at a time. We have a, a saying at Grove, small acts multiplied by millions can change the world. And I do think, you know, it's just, it's one small act, one person, one story at a time. So you may have heard from my last few episodes, I am bringing back our 2020 Green Dreamer planners, and that should hopefully be ready by December. Making last year's version was a huge learning curve for me, and to improve upon that, in addition to featuring the major environmental awareness dates to note, weekly inspirational quotes from our past guests, as well as spacious two full spreads dedicated to each week so you can dream big, plan, and make the most of each and every day, the Green Dreamer planner will also be printed on a 100% post-consumer recycled paper instead of last year's FSC but virgin paper. And it's also going to be printed locally to me and hand-bound in Los Angeles instead of overseas as it was last year in China. I will keep you posted along this creation process, but if you may be interested, you can sign up to our weekly digest at greendreamer.com slash subscribe to stay updated and also so that I can gauge interest on whether this is something that I can continue doing. For now, though, to our final Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or a publication you follow or a book that's been really profound for you? I really get inspired when I look at some of the stuff that's happening in the alternative protein space. I think animal agriculture has a well-documented massive impact on the environment as well. And so I I love to see what some of our like-minded friends are doing to make really fast progress there. Mm. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? It's such a privilege to be a part of positive change. It's just like this, we are at the moment where we have a chance to like save the world as a generation. And like, I get to play a real role in it. Like win, lose, or draw, what greater, what greater joy could there be in life? than to participate in something as, as important as that. What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? Sleeping more. <laughs> what are you working on right now to elevate your positive impact for our planet? We are working on ways to reduce packaging across everything at Grove, particularly plastic packaging, but really packaging across the, the entire line, and also to find ways to offset the packaging that we do need to use in our business. It's not realistic that we can be zero plastic in the next 12 months, but maybe we can find a way to offset all of the plastic that we do use so that we can you know, not just be less bad, but actually be more good. Mm. And what makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? This is a really hard moment for the planet. From the incredible lack of leadership on a global scale on climate issues to the tragedy in the Amazon right now, it's a really hard time to be optimistic. But I think the way big change happens is it starts with people and 
when when we started grow i mean through my job i get to interact with all different types of people from all different types of places and i am consistently surprised by how wonderful the people i meet are everywhere and it does give me optimism that that the silent majority really does care and that you know the hopefully the silent majority will be less and less silent over time as it comes to protecting our collective home i really i really hope that 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 happens. Well, Green Dreamer, to learn more and stay updated on Stuart's work and check out Grove Collaborative, you can head to www.grove.co and you can also follow them on Instagram at Grove Collaborative and on Twitter and Facebook at Grove Collab. As always, this will be linked in the show notes in case you're on the go right now and you'll be able to find all of that at greendreamer.com. Stuart, thank you so much for sharing your story and expertise with us. What final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? I just thank you. I, mean, I guess that's not a word of wisdom, but just thank you for everything that you do every day to make a positive impact. I mean, every I really believe every person counts. And that the urgency on these issues is, is extreme. And so I, I feel so fortunate to be you know, one of so many great people pulling on the rope in the right direction. And I hope that many of the folks listening to this, and I have no doubt, you know, are able to, to find really positive and productive outlets for the incredible positive and conscientious energy. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. I'd like to take another moment to thank our sponsor, Osea Malibu, a skincare line founded by a family of women inspired by the sea and that formulates botanical-powered products that have shown proven results for all skin concerns. To get $10 off your first purchase of $50 or more, you can head to oseamalibu.com slash greendreamer. Again, that's O-S-E-A malibu.com slash greendreamer. Oh, and if you're in the LA area, make sure to stop by their Osea Venice Skincare Studio for their therapeutic facials. As always, you can sign up to our weekly digest to get solutions-driven news delivered to you at greendreamer.com slash subscribe. And if you want to come say hello to let me know that you're tuning in, you can find me on Instagram at greendreamerpodcast or at Kamea Shane. As we're wrapping up here, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.